0: All right. Thanks, Ryan. Hey, good morning. morning. Open your Bibles. Uh, Let's go to John 15, but also put a note, put a a marker in John 15, and then put a marker in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. It's a real honor to share the word with you this morning, and I appreciate Ryan uh, letting the old guy get back up every once in a while. That's great. That's great. Becky and I bring you greetings. She's actually, her father's having a little heart procedure, uh, just getting one of those devices put in that uh, are supposed to keep him going when it wants to stop, okay? A defibrillator and pacemaker, and I think it even makes him happier. Okay, so anyway, (laughs) anyway, but no, seriously, you can be praying for him this week as he gets that surgery, but she is on a plane right now somewhere between here and West Virginia. So turn to your Bibles and let's pray. Father God, Thank you so much for joy. Uh, And Father, thank you that uh, that joy is one of the things that you uh, exhibit for us, that your spirit produces in us. It's It's one of the big nine things that you give us as a marker of the fruit of your presence and your power in our lives. So we thank you that you're the joy God. You're the God that produces joy. And we pray that as we study it today that you would help us understand it and experience it to your your glory. In Christ's name, amen. So today as we look at joy, we're looking at the second of the fruit of the Spirit. It's right up there after love, right? Love, joy. If you know them, you can say them with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I memorized that a bunch of years ago. And it's always stuck with me as the evidence of the good life. This is the life in God's Spirit produced by His Holy Spirit that lives in us as we walk and abide in Christ. We're going to see that of all of this list as we go throughout the summer. But today we tackle this universal pursuit of Joy, and I have to admit, it's probably along with love, which leads off. Who's going to argue with love, right? You all need more loving, but right after more love, I kind of want joy. Joy beats being bummed, amen? Yeah, I mean, if i got a choice being joyful or bummed, okay, joyful or depressed, joyful or down, I'm going to choose joy, But I've also found that, at least in my life, it can be one of the more elusive of these fruit. It is so easy, especially in today's culture, which is so negative, so down on everything, it's very, very easy to suddenly realize, oh my gosh, you know, where did the joy go? It's a word that in Greek gets translated pretty carefully, often just with the word joy. In fact, it's 59 times in the New Testament. Uh, and and, and the, the, the Greek word chaira will be translated with things like cheerfulness. I like this one, calm delight. So it doesn't just mean that you're always off the charts joy, but it's a calm sense of delight. The verb form, rejoice, 74 times, it means to be cheerful, to be calmly happy. Have a sense of well-being, a sense of things are okay, I'm well off. Thinks that tends to, to be what we mean when we talk about joy. But although joy is often used as a synonym for what work? Can you guess? Interact with me a little bit today, even those of you online in your living rooms. It's off yeah, the number one synonym would be happy, right? Oh yeah, happy. And they're both good words. It's not, a, it's not necessarily a bad translation, but yet we're going to see today that there's a big difference between the joy that God's Spirit wants to produce and the happiness that we often talk about and using the words almost interchangeably in our culture. The joy that God wants to produce in us as His fruit is very, very different. Now, why do I say that? Let's begin to set the backdrop before we plunge into the number one chapter on joy in the whole bible by the way the joy book is philippians that's the whole theme of the book and of that book the most concentrated discussion of joy is in chapter four so we're going to take chapter four apart in just a minute but by way of introduction what do i mean by joy in how it's often talked about in our culture Well, joy in our culture, and we'll put it up on the screen, is like this. It's the joy of experiencing the emotion of happiness, and happiness is always linked to our happenings. In other words, if things are going well in our culture, I would expect to feel happy because I just got the job. I just got the raise. I just won the game, right? Uh, But that's the cultural expression of joy. It's often... that comes out of some of the things we value most highly as a culture. Most people, when interviewed and say what would make you more joyful? The most common answer is often, well, a little more money wouldn't hurt. You know what I mean? And I'm not against having more money, but I was kind of shocked to see a headline. A few years ago, there was an article on happiness in American culture, And the headline, and this is on CBS News actually, led with this. Listen to it Materialism breeds depression and makes happiness elusive. It reports on a study by Dr. Richard Ryan and Dr. Tim Kasser about the effect of people who actually chase money as a goal. He said it actually can lead to mental illness. Materialism actually breeds depression, not happiness. And they have a case study to prove it. He goes on to say, and I quote from his study, I've tracked down Dr. Ryan at the University of Rochester in New York, and he says this, and I quote him directly, when we started our research, we were looking at people's value systems and their emphasis on relationships, commitment, personal growth. But when we put a relative importance on the value of money, when that rose up their value chart, it had a strong mental effect. The studies really weren't intended to show the pursuit that the pursuit of affluence created unhappiness. It just turned out that way, says Dr. Ryan, professor of clinical and social sciences in psychology. He goes on to say later in the article, just one more quote, he says, the material or external things that we seek, material things, actually can never replace the internal or the intrinsic things that we need. You have to find a spiritual partner, someone who can relate to you on a deeper level, on the level of the soul. See, it's interesting that even secular research kinda warns us that sometimes we chase happiness and it's very elusive, and we actually end up depressed. So what's the difference when I say if our culture often defines joy as happiness that are based out of what's happening, in other words, based out of good results, it's a good day, What? do I mean in contrast to that? I call it joy according to Jesus Christ. Listen to what Jesus says. We'll be dipping in and out of of John chapter 15 during this series, because the series is on the fruit of God's Spirit, of of what God wants to produce in us from the inside out. And uh, John 15 speaks of that and, and, and points us to the importance of abiding in Christ. And then Christ says this in chapter 15, verse 11. Listen to it. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So what Jesus is saying in John fifteen eleven is if you listen to what I'm trying to teach you, my, my goal is that you would experience my joy and full joy. Now, what's the difference? Why would Jesus distinguish between his joy and the world's joy? Well, for one thing, Jesus makes this statement literally on the verge of being whipped, beaten, and taken to a cross. And yet he has, even in his grief and his pain that he's about to go through, he still has joy. This is a joy that is Full joy that is the joy modeled by Jesus Christ. And Jesus actually is bold enough to say, I, I don't want you to just have normal human joy. I, my goal is that you experience my joy in you and that your joy would be made full or complete. Complete joy. So, joy that Jesus wants us to discover, the question is, where. Do you find it? And that's where I go to Philippians. So jump over with me now to Philippians chapter 4. Joy in Philippians 4, but it, I, I think of Philippians this way. If, if John 15 tells us the, the source of joy, if, if Galatians five sixteen points us to it as a fruit of his spirit, it's a fruit of abiding in Christ, then, it, then it's kind of like if, if, if that defines the, the source of joy, Philippians 4 gives us the roadmap of how you actually experience more of it. Philippians chapter 4, joy in what I call real-time joy. Now, why do I say that? I call it real-time joy because in Philippians, I would summarize it this way. It's a joy that's not living under the circumstances, but actually above the circumstances in Christ. I had a professor at seminary years ago, Dr. Howard Hendricks. The guy was the ultimate motivator, always positive, always excited. Uh but you know, he would often pass students and one thing you'd learn to never say is is you know, he would say, "Hey, Dale, how you doing?" And if you kind of a, a common response is, "Well, I'm I'm doing all right under the circumstances." And his response would be, "What are you doing living there?" Well, "What do you mean? What are you doing living under the circumstances?" Because in Christ, what we're gonna see is we actually are made in Christ to live above the circumstances, not under them, even though we have to go in them and through them. So that's what we're gonna see. So this joy is, a, is, is not linked to circumstances. It is linked to our relationship with Jesus. Now, one reason I know that is when you go through Philippians 4, and we don't have time to cover the whole chapter, but let me just give you a sample. When you go through Philippians 4, here are some of the things that Paul discusses. He talks about joy, but he talks about it in the context. And here's some words. He talks about, in my struggles, he says, when you are anxious, here's how to get joy. He says, when you're in conflict, here's how to get joy. When you are suffering need, I can have joy. When I'm going hungry, I can have joy. When I have abundance, I can have joy. And the whole book is actually written by a guy who's sitting in prison. So he is in prison writing a book on joy. And it's because the joy has nothing to do with where he is when he writes it. It has everything to do with where he is in Christ. We're going to keep coming back to that. Now, those of you that have been around Seacoast and heard me teach before, you know that I am a a diagram nut, okay? I love diagrams. They help me remember stuff, okay, in my simple brain. So let me show you a diagram that's going to summarize everything else I'm going to teach you today. Are you ready? Here we go. Boom, there it is. What we're going to learn from philippians is this and we're going to walk through this from the inside out that joy first of all begins at its core on the inside with peace with god knowing and understanding our relationship to christ and having total peace with god being totally at peace with god is the starting point but then if you're going to experience joy even if you have peace with God you got to take your peace with God and apply it to have peace with other people because from my experience it's often people that rob me of joy right you know it's conflict it's relational conflict and if we don't learn to have healthier relationships I guarantee you the smiles going off your face Okay, so you've got to have joy with God, a peace with God, joy based in that. And then you've got to let that flow out and affect how you relate to people around you so you can have a joyful experience of joyful relationships, being at peace with people. But then the rest of the chapter, actually from verse 5 on, begins to shift the focus to joy based on being at peace with life's circumstances. Good, bad, bad. Beauty or ugly, whatever the circumstances are in life, you've got to learn how do I have joy knowing that I'm at peace? I've got a sense of well-being. I've got a sense of, of security and confidence as I face whatever is going on around me. So you got it? So it starts on in the inside, spreads outward to touch all of life. Let's start with peace with God. What do I mean by joy grounded in peace with God? Well, listen to Philippians. Here it goes. Therefore, verse 4, verse 1, chapter 4. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy. There it is again. He actually calls people his joy. We'll see why in a minute. Because Paul's joy was developing people and helping them know Christ. But he calls them a joy in his life. But he says, my joy, my crown, in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm in the Lord. And then you jump down to verse 4, where he says, Rejoice, same word, joy, in action. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now, again, the key challenge in this purse, in this passage, as it is often in life, is the word always. He actually says you can rejoice, but it's in the Lord always. He doesn't say rejoice um, in anything else. The one unchangeable anchor to a lifestyle of experience and joy is understanding what it means to be in Christ. Now, that's why I think Jesus in John 15, if you go back and flip back to John 15, if not, I'll read it to you. In John 15, beginning in verse four, that's where Jesus says, abide in me. He says, and let my words abide in you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. He's talking about the fruit of his spirit. And joy's one of them. Abide in me as I abide or live in you. So it's the internal indwelling of God that you actually, as a Christian, have Christ in you by his Spirit. You know, It's been said the Christian life is not hard. It's impossible. Christian life's not hard. It's impossible. Apart from the fact that you live it and you let Christ live it through you. So it's impossible for you to pull off. He says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me, it means you draw your life from me. You draw your resource. You draw your strength from me. Then you bear much fruit. And we've taught this before. But it's foundational to this whole study on the fruit of the spirits. I just didn't want to skip it. So when you learn to abide in Christ, verse 9, chapter 15, verse 9, says, abide in me, and then he adds, he says, and abide in my love as I abide in my Father's love. He says, abide in my love. In other words, live in it. Dwell in it. Stay in my love. Experience it. It's like, the, it's like water to a fish. It's like air that we breathe. He says, abide, draw your life, by being in my love. It means under my grace, under my forgiveness, under the security of my love. Good news on this is whether it's your best day ever in terms of following Christ, whether it's your worst day ever, In terms of following Christ he never leaves you and he says draw your life from me depend upon me rely upon me abide in me and abide in my love now what's that have to do with joy well I think it's 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 a source of joy because it's the joy of knowing that I'm okay See that definition in the beginning of joy was that sense, let me see if I can read it again, it was that sense of of being at peace, and that sense of being calmly happy. It's the sense of being well off, that things are okay. And because sometimes circumstances are not okay. They're, they're crappy, they're terrible, and they're painful. But even in that, the idea is if you abide in his love, you abide in his grace. You know that Christ lives in you, and you draw upon his resource. You are okay. Doesn't mean that life's perfect. Life's full of all the stuff that this chapter is going to mention, but it's that sense of knowing that I am secure in my Father's love. I like to picture it this way, that at any time in my life, I am so okay in Christ, so forgiven, so made a child of God, that when I'm hurting, when I'm struggling, when I've just done something stupid, the father is still there in his easy chair. I remember when my dad, my dad had a rocking chair, actually. He didn't have an easy chair, he had a rocking chair. He had an antique rocking chair made for a big guy. He'd be sitting in that rocking chair. And I knew that as a kid, it was always okay for me to crawl on his lap and just cuddle up and let him tell me it's going to be okay. No matter what it is. That's how God the Father is. When you're in Christ, you are welcome in the lap of God. Anytime. Anytime. That's a source of joy. But see, that's the kind of joy that you can have no matter what's going on in your life. It doesn't have to be a great day. I don't just crawl into my dad's lap because because I've just had a great day and done something wonderful. No, no, no. You usually want to crawl in your dad's lap when you feel like, I don't know what I'm going to do next because life is really hard. That's when you crawl on dad's lap. But there's another thing I think that comes with knowing that you are in Christ. You're not only in Christ, look at verse 2, look at verse 2. You're not only in Christ in that you stand firm in him as beloved children, but then he says this, he says, And I urge erodia and I urge Sinti to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared in my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. In other words, they've already died for the gospel. See, so what he's, what he's hinting at before we move on to relationships is that in Christ, you not only have security, you have significance. He says, these fellow workers that I know that are struggling right now, he says, remind them they are, they, they are, they are involved in the cause of of the gospel. See, what he's talking about is we have purpose in Christ. We not only have the security of being loved by God, we have the significance of having purpose in our life. Here's a statement I'll give you to take away on this. It says this, this cause of Christ has nothing to do with what you do for a living, but everything to do with why you are alive. See that? It has nothing to do with what you do for a living. You work a job. That's okay. You, you, you work here, there. You do. All of us do different things in different places. But wherever you are, you not only are there to, to make money and have a job, you actually are there for the cause of the gospel. You're there to actually introduce people to the truth about the mysteries of God. Let me tell you, people all around the world, Becky and I are as you know are missionaries of this church okay And, and and we just got back from Kenya I'll show you some pictures later but but the reality is people in every culture around the planet want to know the truth about God they may act like they're not interested they may even say they're atheists or agnostics but down deep inside you if you ask them would you really like to know the truths about God interested very few people would say, no, nah, that doesn't interest me. Of course they're interested. See, so that's why 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says this. Think of us this way. We are servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So when you come to know Christ and the gospel, the good news of Christ, what he did on the cross, his resurrection, when you understand what it means that you can actually know him, you have possession of one of the of the big mystery that is the mysteries of god wow that gives my life meaning and guess what when my life has meaning i have more what can you guess the answer today every time i ask you a question just say joy okay yeah next week you can say peace or something else but today the big idea is joy Yeah, when I have purpose for getting out of bed and going to work and doing something, I actually have more joy. If my only purpose is chasing more money, according to the secular research, guess what? I'll get depressed because I can never have enough. But in Christ, I have purpose. That's what it means to be totally at peace with God. Now, secondly, we'll hit this one more quickly. Um, It means the joy of also being at peace with others. See, he immediately in this chapter, in verse 2, he, he mentions these two women. I just read the verse, Erodio and Sinti, uh, who It who, says, encourage them to live in harmony in, in the Lord. Because they are in the Lord, in, in Christ, sharing the same gospel, then they need to be helped to get along. They're in conflict with each other. And when, they, and when you get in conflict with people, whether it's in your marriage, because conflict happens in marriages. Sometimes you hurt each other. Sometimes you wound each other. It happens. It happens for me. It happens for Becky and I. It happens in every marriage. And, and, and sometimes you wound or hurt each other. You may, or, you may have meant to do it. You may have not meant to do it. It doesn't matter. It hurts. In friendships, there are pain and conflict. In, in, in the workplace, when you go to work, sometimes you're going to feel like, I wish somebody would listen to me and pay attention to me. I'm getting the raw deal. There's conflicts in the workplace. There are conflicts for students at school. They're everywhere. You know, conflict happens. Conflicts happen. And what he says is basically this. He says, if you want to have joy, you've got to stop, have a forgiving, gentle spirit, forgive each other, and move on. If I were to give you one verse, here it is. My favorite one, Philippians, excuse me, Ephesians 4.32. It says to be kind to one another, forgiving each other, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. So see, he brings it back. He brings it back to that first circle. He brings it back to that. If, you are, if you're at peace with God because of his grace, then now apply that grace to the circle of your friendships and relationships. Be not only a recipient of the grace and forgiveness of God, be really quick to give it, to give it out. Don't just believe in grace, use it in your relationships to keep a clean slate. And that doesn't mean you don't tell each other the truth, by the way. You speak the truth in love, don't let the sun go down on your anger, it says in, in this same chapter of Ephesians 4. But then at the end of the chapter, when it's all said and done, if you appreciate the grace of God, be generous with it. Share it with others. You've got to have peaceful relationships to have joy. But then last but not least, how do you have joy of peace with life's circumstances? As I mentioned earlier, this chapter mentions all kinds of problems. Anxiety, the need for prayer, the need for focus, the need to practice certain things, the need to try to discover how to be content, to go hungry at times and, and suffer needs. All of them are mentioned. And I, and I would just mention probably three words that if I had the time to unpack the rest of this chapter in detail, it's, it's these three. Number one is pray with thanksgiving. That's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It says, be anxious for nothing. Look at verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. Because worry is going to rob you of what? Joy. Joy. You're getting it. Yeah. (laughs) It's going to rob you of joy. So be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which is a subset of joy, really, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It will guard your thoughts and your emotions. But it begins by praying with thanksgiving. That doesn't mean just praying and saying, God, I want you to please do this. Let me win the lotto or whatever. You know, "God, God, please this person or this and and then thanking God that you know he's going to do it the fact of the matter is you don't know what God's answer is going to be it could be yes I want to do that or no I'm not going to do that or you know something wait and see later I've got another plan altogether. but whatever God's going to do as you share your needs with him thank him thank him for the things that never change thank him that you know he loves you thank you that you know he cares thank you that you know he can do anything Thank thank him that you know his plans are for good, not evil. Thank him that you know that he causes all things to work together for good, even when you don't understand it. Those are things you can pray with thanksgiving. When you pray with thanksgiving, you will have more joy. Seek contentment, especially when it comes to financial things which are a major cause of anxiety. Listen to verse 10. Listen to verse 10. Paul says this. He says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. There it is again. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but You lacked opportunity to help me is the idea, but now they had just sent a gift to him to help him out. And he's thankful for their loving gift. But then he says this, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content, underline the word, content, in whatever circumstance I'm in. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live with prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled or going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. It's a great verse. So seek contentment in whatever circumstance God has placed you. Because at times, you're going to be blessed more than you can imagine. And you'll say, wow, God, I don't know what to do with all that you've supplied me with. Other times, you're going to say, God, I don't know how I can pay the next bill. Or, God, I don't know where I'm going to get my next meal. Sometimes, literally. For most of us in America, we don't get that low, but, yeah. Sometimes you go to the gas tank and you, you figure, what? You ever said that lately? Yeah. Yeah, is the gas tank just sucks money right out of my wallet. See? Can you be content or are you going to lose your joy when you go to the pump? Can you have joy while you're pumping gas? <laughs> yeah, now there's a relevant analogy. Okay. So next time you start pumping gas, there's a little kid's song. When I was a child in church, it, a little joy. it said, uh, I got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where down in my heart. Woo. Have you ever heard that song? Right now, if my wife watches this, she's gonna say, oh, Dale, do not sing. Never, never, never sing, okay? Yeah, so, yeah, so next time, here's my challenge. You go to pump gas. As you're pumping gas, just say, I got the joy, 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 joy (laughs) down in my heart. Yeah, I mean, it's not in the tank, but it's in the heart. (laughs) Now, why can you be at peace, have contentment? Or why can you have confidence, which is the next one, where he says in verse 12, by the way, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, what's he talking about? When he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he's saying my confidence is in Christ. Therefore, I can go through hard times and I can still have joy. My contentment is in Christ. My confidence is in Christ. My thanksgiving and prayer is to Christ because I'm resting in him. I'm abiding in him. You can have joy no matter what you're going through in life. Now, I thought about it. I wanted to close this message with a, a true story or illustration that illustrates joy no matter what. How do you have real-time, anytime joy? And... Uh, I want to share with you my picture of joy. My picture of joy begins with a man named Pastor Samuel. Pastor Samuel Gutheru and his wife Eunice. Now if that's not a picture of joy, but what, what you got to know is, man, that's, that's well, he always looks that happy. At least when I'm around him. He's a a pastor that went through our leadership training in 2018, and he's gone through it twice since. Most recently, uh, just about three weeks ago, we were with him in Nairobi, Kenya, and he was helping us uh, put on a training for for pastors. He's a unique guy. Uh, He asked me to speak in his church, uh, and let me just take you on a short 30-second drive as I remember driving toward his church. I filmed this. All right. That's the road, not in his immediate neighborhood, but getting to his neighborhood. It's a street that runs along the edge of one of the seven slums of Nairobi, Kenya. Now in Nairobi, when they use the phrase slum, they refer it, it's not a derogatory term, like you're making fun of somebody. They, they identify neighborhoods that have no public services as slums, they have no running water, no sewage, no schools. There are seven major slums just in the city of Nairobi alone. The largest one is the Kibera slum with over one million people. Pastor Samuel's church is actually in the Tassia slum, which is 250,000 people, okay? And his church is in the heart of You can't even drive to his church. We drove as far as we could. We got out, and we had to walk down the street, and he greeted us with one of his, one of his leaders in the door and talked to us a little bit about... Uh, his church and then he stepped out into the street and began to describe the life of the people in the slum and and uh eventually we went for a little walk even and and then i i asked him i said if you don't mind let me just pull out my iphone and would you tell my friends back in america what your congregation that lives right here in the tasia slum what is what is their biggest challenge and Here's what he said. That we are facing in the in the area, we are, number one is poverty. The level of poverty that people are living with is too high. As you can see around the people here who lives here works for $3 a day. That is 300 shillings, Kenyan shilling. And that, uh, in that you will find that uh, they have children to take to school with that $300. Shilling, three a day. They have a uh, life ahead of them, so this now is a big challenge. We don't have schools, we don't have uh, government facilities in uh, in this land, so we are facing a lot of challenges because now we need the life of these people to be transformed. Yeah. It says they live on about three dollars a day U.S. 300 Kenyan shillings, about th- the equivalency of about $3 a day. And uh, that's if they're lucky to have a job. Uh, there's actually uh, more than half unemployment as well in the slum. Um, he talked about those 10 shacks, and he said that an average uh, little house that's about 10 or 12 feet square, there'll be three generations actually sleep there at night uh, together. That's their life. That's their life. And then these same people from the slum, as they've come to know Jesus Christ, as they've come into their church, they gather in that small church. It probably seats about, it may seat about 75 to 80, maybe 100 people by the time they pack them in. But do they have joy? Well, let's go to church. That's joy. That's joy in motion. Let me tell you something. They love to sing, love to dance to the glory of God. And by the way, it's not just the adults. You gotta at least capture the kids for just a minute. And the little girl in red will steal your heart. Here we go. Uh, I love that little girl But how do you have that kind of joy? How do you have that kind of joy? And by the way, they sat through a three-hour worship service uh, And listened to my sermon, which is probably 45 minutes long And then at the end of the service the pastor says by the way pastor dale We're gonna have lunch now, but I forgot to tell you they're all coming back after lunch because they want you to teach more on marriage this time and I say oh uh, I didn't know this, but Sure, I can do that. How, how long you want me to teach? He says, "Oh, just teach as long as you want to. Teach three or four hours. <laughs> I got no notes, I got no books. I just got my Bible. So I just opened the Bible and gave him another three hours, four hours on marriage and family from the word of God. Kind of helps that I wrote a book on that years earlier, okay? So I, I just kind of tried to remember my, my outline, but but yeah, these people are hungry. They don't have anything to eat, but they're hungry for God's word. And, and they were so bummed that my wife Becky was not there that they did this. Hello, Becky. Hello, Becky. Come to Kenya and Tasia. Tassia. Hey! Okay. Begging my wife to come to Tasia to their neighborhood. So excited so excited and since then we've been we've been back so the reason i take time to share that with you is because and i don't i'm not trying to guilt anybody into anything but i'm just trying to say if this was your life could you have joy like their joy and i know as people that live here in the nicest part of california It's hard for me to believe that. It's hard for me to imagine living there. But I know one thing, when you start with knowing that your eternal relationship with God is at peace, and when you know that he is with you and he lives in you, when you are secure in your relationship with other people and you learn to forgive as you've been forgiven, and then when you learn to approach life with confidence in Christ, contentment in christ praying with thanksgiving you can have anytime anywhere real time joy no matter what your circumstances if you don't have that it begins with that relationship with jesus having peace with god knowing that christ died for you rose again and he's alive today he wants to send His Spirit to live in you, to produce love, joy, and the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. If you've never done that, maybe today's a good day. Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for the joy that we can have in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, we can't whip it up, we can't fake it, we can't produce it, but thank you that Christ died for me on the cross I would invite every person here to affirm this in their mind. Say, Lord, thank you for dying for me. Thank you that you rose from the dead. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for sending your spirit. Thank you for life in Christ that we can draw from him. And Father, if we have a single friend here in the room who's never invited Christ to come in and to be that personal Savior in their life. I'd I'd invite them to do it right now and say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I believe in you. I put my trust in you. I put my faith in you and what you did on the cross. I want to experience by your strength uh, real time, anytime, anywhere, uh, joy. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So, Father God, as we go forth, uh, let us go forth with joy, empowered by your Spirit, uh, to do your mission, your cause, uh, and the joy of our security in Christ, our significance in Christ, and the indwelling of Christ. May it produce uh, real time, anywhere, joy in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, don't forget the beach, the beach. Don't forget the beach party coming up. Thank you for coming for Seacoast. Greet those around you before you leave the room, okay? Thanks.